Anyway, so yeah, tomorrow Erica and I fly to Phoenix and we're going to be gone for a week doing all sorts of uh, fun things that, that I have planned. It seems to me, it seems to me there's two sorts of people in the world. You can divide everyone between these two groups. People that plan every little detail of their vacations ahead of time and those who just take it as it comes. You're either one or the other. And sometimes those two types of people marry one another. Right? That leads to all sorts of interesting uh, uh, issues. Anyone else unequally yoked like that? There's a few of you. Anyway, so you can probably guess who I am, who Erica is. I'm like an uber planner when it comes to vacation. Uh, it doesn't matter whether, whether the, the trip is a year from now, I'm making plans. I'm doing research. I make an itinerary of every minute, what time we're going to get up in the morning, where we're going to eat breakfast, what we're going to do that morning, or we're going to have lunch, and I make a very detailed itinerary. This is, this is part of what we're doing this coming week. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Last year, when Eric and I went down, she kind of messed up my plans. She got sick for two days. Yeah, that's right. And I still dragged her along to to what we were going to do. I had planned to rent bikes and to bike this trail in this beautiful park in Phoenix and we were going that was part of the plan. So I dragged her along and she's and we're biking and she's just she's like I just don't feel good. I think we should go back. I said, "No, this is part of the plan." And so we went on and finally she convinced me to go back to the car and it ruined the day and I didn't talk to her for a while. I'm a jerk, okay? I can be a jerk. But can you imagine? I got, I got upset at my wife because she got sick on my vacation and I had to change my plans. Kathy, shh. Don't listen to her, hon. Um, anyway, so uh, what type of person are you? Are you one of those like real uh, detailed planner people for the future? Or are you one of those kind of take it as it comes sort of people? Um, You know, we all plan to a certain degree. Like some of us, we are really into planning and goal setting and some of us, maybe not so much, but we all make plans. And so I think the the text that we're gonna look at this morning is, is gonna be really applicable to us. James is gonna talk about how to make plans wisely and how to face your future as as followers of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible with you, turn to James chapter four. We're gonna look at verses 13 to 17. We'll have the the words on the screen as well. Uh, we're, We're getting close to the end of the book of James. We've been going through this bold, powerful little book over the last couple of months. Really, really practical book, kinda hard hitting. Um... And it's all about living out our faith in, in every area of life. What does real faith look like? So we're going to start here, chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? 
You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So James begins here. Now my version says, now listen. Maybe your version says, come now, which is like a, which was like the Bible's way of saying, come on, man. Okay? That's what, come on, man. He's gonna give him a little pep talk here. He's got a bit of a critique for these people for, for a certain type of person that's present in the church. This is a critique not just for um, people outside the church. The people he's talking to here are people who know the Lord, we're gonna find. But he has a bit of a rebuke for these people about how they're going about planning their future. Uh, He says, come on, man. Now listen, you who say, what's the problem with this type of people? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Okay? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I mean, don't some of you just wish that your grown child would say something like that? Don't you just wish they would get up in the morning going, I'm gonna go look for a job. I've got goals and ambitions for my life. You say, good on you, son. About time, right? So here we have a person who's got goals they're setting. They're developing a plan. They're ambitious. They're driven, okay? What's the problem, James? The problem is, uh, an underlying attitude that he's going to identify that, that is, as he calls it, an arrogant attitude about our plans and about the future. An arrogant attitude. He says this attitude that's reflected in this, this statement, this type of person, is, is problematic for two reasons. First of all, it's problematic because it presumes about tomorrow. It presumes about tomorrow. Uh, I mean, look at that verse there, verse 13 in yellow. Pretty much in that one sentence, that person's got it all figured out. Like the five W's, the, the who, what, where, when, why, how. I mean, they're pretty much all right there in that statement. Well, when? Today or tomorrow. Where? This city or that city. Uh, and how long? Oh, a year. And uh, what? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to carry on business there. And why are we going to do that? Well, we're going to make money. And so what, what he's showing us is, is a person who has it all figured out, their future with their plans. This is a person who thinks that they have some grasp on the future. They can control the outcome. And he says, that's arrogant, and it's arrogant in the sense um, that, that, that someone like this has a misplaced trust in their ability to chart their own future, to chart their course. Uh, James is, in this example, I, I guess you would call this person maybe someone of the merchant class. Uh, this is maybe like someone in the top 1% back in the first century, right? If you're the sort of person that's traveling to carry on business in different cities, you're doing pretty well for yourself. Uh, 
Now, I, 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 that's why I think this text is really appropriate for us 2,000 years later, living in a very modern, prosperous society, because that is us. I mean, if you put any of us back in, maybe you don't think you're well-to-do because other people around you are more well-to-do, but you put yourself back in that day, in that place, and you are the top 1%, you're doing really well for yourself. And so I think that James is really talking to people uh, like us uh, today because the rich, the well-to-do, the prosperous are prone to this type of uh, arrogancy, uh, are prone to buy into this illusion of control over the future, control over our lives. I mean, think of it. I mean, we, we can control more now than, than they've ever been able to control in the past or anything they, they could ever dream that they could, they could do, we can do. We can control the temperature in our house. Isn't this crazy? You can go to that little box on your wall and hit a button and you can set the temperature to the exact degree that you want it to be. I just saw the commercial this last week. You can actually get a bed now where... Um, for, for the two people that sleep in that bed, you can have different settings of different firmness catered right to your desire. You can control the firmness. You can control the tilt. Do you want your head raised? Do you want your feet raised? And it's personalized to the person, right? You drive a car and, and you can heat your bum to a certain temperature and your spouse can heat their bum to a different temperature, <laughs> right? We, we control so many aspects of, of life that people in his day couldn't dream, couldn't dream of ever controlling. Um, I mean, we even have like retirement dates. Some of you know that you, 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 you can look 20 years from now and you can circle a date on the calendar and go, that's the day I retire. They couldn't have dr- like ever dreamt of doing anything like that, even in James's day. Um, we have this, this term that would have been so foreign to them, family planning. The fact that you can actually plan your family around your wishes. So we ask questions of people now. How many kids are you gonna have? Right? Because we think that we can control the number of kids and, well, to a large degree, we can. How many kids are you gonna have? I mean, if you would have asked them that question in James' day, they would have been like, What? Oh. Uh, when are you going to start having kids? Back at the, they would be like, what? That's a weird question. What are you talking about? Uh, I remember when Eric and I were first married, uh, I, I had this vision for the family that I was going to have. First kid was going to be a boy. His name was going to be Dietrich. He was going to be a baseball player. I was going to be his parent pitch coach. We were going to spend Saturdays in the park and I'd be giving him grounders and fly balls. It was going to be great fun. And then God gave me Annika. And uh, where are you, Annika? In the building? She's way up there, as far away as she can be. Good girl. Ironically, Annika, I'm sure, is a better athlete than any son that God could have ever given me. I'm, I'm so grateful for Annika. But I, I just had in my mind, I was gonna have this boy who was gonna be Dietrich. He's gonna play baseball. I was gonna be his coach. And then we were gonna have a girl named Abigail and that's all I knew about her. I just, I didn't have much plans. I didn't have as many plans for Abigail as I had for, for Dietrich. And so we had, we had uh, Annika. Okay, well, gotta give me the boy the second, second time around, right? Britta. Britta, I'm so glad that God put you in my family. 
got a third time around. I'm going to get Dietrich. Philippa. Man, Philippa's a blessing. So I just went and got a boy dog. I just, it was it. I just, we weren't going to have any more. We had decided three is enough, so we went and we got a, a boy dog. Um, and you know what? Uh, I love the family that God has given me. I mean, I, if I could go back, I, w- I wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't go back and get a Dietrich instead of an Annika. No way. No way. Uh, but but uh, I had this vision for my future. I kind of presumed about tomorrow. And I think we, more than anyone else in human history, are prone to do that because we have, it's easy to buy into this illusion of control over our lives. And that's really what it is, James says. It's an illusion. Uh, Jesus talks about a guy like this. They tend to be kind of well-to-do people. That the, the people that have to worry about next year, they don't have to just think about their next meal. They have the luxury of thinking about next year. Jesus talked about a person like this. It's in a parable, Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 16. He, he, he told, told the crowd this parable. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up uh, things for themselves but is not rich towards God. He called, Jesus calls someone like that foolish. Someone who presumes about the future. Who feels like they have control over their future, over their situation, over the outcomes of their lives. James says, you are but, in verse 14... He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, let alone a year from now. I mean, you don't even know if you're going to get to the rock after this service for, for lunch. And you got plans. Maybe you got plans for tonight. And I got plans for this next week. And God better not mess with my plans. I'm just saying. I'm joking. But, but kind of serious. Please don't mess with. I got a very detailed itinerary for my week. There's not room for a rain day. He says, uh, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, we all know this, but we don't really, we tend not to think like this. That word mist doesn't just mean the fog that sits on the ground in the morning and after a few hours it goes away. It's a word that means a puff of smoke. You know that puff that comes out of your mouth when it's cold and you breathe in a little, uh, so, so you, can, you can see your breath and then a split second later, it's gone. He says, yeah, that's, that's you. That's us. That's what we are. Our control is imaginary. We lack knowledge over our future and we lack power to ensure a certain outcome, a certain future. He said, those things belong not to you. Those things belong to God. Psalm, or David said in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. David said, When I consider your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. He says, When, when, when I consider all that God has done, when I consider 
the, the magnitude, the greatness of God, his power, his knowledge, I think why I feel so small. I am humbled when when I see how great God is, how great is his knowledge, that he knows everything, that he has power over everything, that God is sovereign. God has control over everything. God never says, oh, I got a little over my head there. Ooh, that took me by surprise. I didn't mean for that to happen. Ooh, what am I gonna do now? God never finds himself in that position. God is sovereign over all things. You lack control, but God has perfect control. So when I see God's greatness, David says, and James says, it causes me to, to turn from arrogance to humility. Um, Humility acknowledges that our lives are uncertain and that God is sovereign. And and that's what it takes to be humble, to know both those things, that our lives are uncertain, but that God is sovereign, God is in control, right? Like, humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself, it's thinking accurately of yourself in relationship with God. There's a few different ways to be arrogant with your life and your future. You can be kind of like the person that James is describing, you can think you got it all together, you got it all figured out, and you're gonna make this happen. Um, And you can be kind of proud in that. Self-sufficient. That's one form of arrogance, but on the other side, there's another form of arrogance where a person might be on the opposite end and they would say, I am, I am, I am, my, my weakness is so great, my flaws are so great that God can't do this in my life. My weakness is so powerful that it's greater than the power of God to do what he wants to do in me, and that's another form of arrogance. Humility acknowledges that our lives are uncertain and also that God is sovereign. And David was amazed when he saw the greatness of God and yet, yet he knew that God, as he said, God is mindful of you, that God loves you. We know God loves us because as as. as Paul said in in Romans, he said, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, God, Christ died for us. God came into the world and laid down his life for us because he loved us and wanted us to know him and have the life that he created us to have. As small as we are, God, as big as he is, as mindful of us and cares about you and loves you. And James is saying, why would you ever want to or try to trust in yourself and your own ability to bring about what you think is best when you could trust in God? In that sort of God that lacked no knowledge, lacked no power and loved you. Why would you trust in yourself instead of trusting in God? So that's foolish. So an arrogant attitude, a a foolish attitude presumes about tomorrow. And and secondly, that attitude plans without God, makes plans without uh, consulting God, praying with God, thinking about God. If you look back to verse 13, you'll notice that this person makes, uh, talks about what they will do, their plans, but it makes no reference to God at all, anywhere, about what God's will might be or, or the reality that God might have a different plan. 
This person is planning without reference to God. So in verse 15, James goes on to say, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, I'll do that. So a, a few questions that raises. Is, is, notice James isn't saying that we ought not to plan. I mean, the Bible is clear. Planning is a virtue. You can find it all over the place. You know, often in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The wise plan. The wise have goals. The wise have aspirations. So what James is not saying is that you ought not to make plans, you arrogant people. What is he saying? Well, he's saying you need to, when you make plans, say, if it is the Lord's will, I will do that. Now, now, does he mean we're just tacking on words to the end of a sentence? You know, in Arab, in in the Arab culture, you've maybe heard the term inshallah, which means God willing, right? And, and, And really pious people might, at the end of almost everything they say, I'm gonna go to the grocery store to get milk, inshallah. Have you ever met an annoying person that, that insists on putting the words, if it be God's will, at the end of every statement? Right. You ever met a person like that? He's not saying, you gotta speak these words anytime you declare your intent or have plans. He's saying you have to have a certain heart, a certain attitude, right? that is open to and desiring of the will of God in your life. And so James is putting the question to them, are you more interested, Christians, in your goals or God? Are you more interested in serving your goals or God? Are you more interested in your plan or God's plan? What is driving your plan? James asks them to consider. So when he says, if the Lord will, I think he means a couple of things. Uh, He's talking about how, both how we make our plans and how we hold our plans. Uh, He's talking, first of all, about how we make our plans. So if if the Lord wills, it means if this is the kind of plan that's in accordance with God's will, I want to make sure when I'm planning that I am planning in concert with God, not to plan independent of God. You know, it's really easy, especially in this kind of secular age we're immersed in, to kind of view our lives as like compartmentalized between the secular and the sacred. Like this is God-related stuff over here, and this is just me-related stuff. You know, my, my workplace, or my finances, or this relation, or whatever. And what he's saying is, is it's all sacred, For God to be Lord of our life, to call him Lord, is to say, I want to do everything in accordance to your will for my life. And so I think what he's telling them to do is when you plan, you need to consult God in your planning. 
but through prayer, through the, the reading of his word, through the counsel of godly people that he has placed in your life. Don't plan, don't set goals without considering what the will of God is for you. The sort of thing God would have you do. The sort of motives that honor God. We can have all sorts of goals. To, to make it to the co- top of the company. Top rank, why? Is it to make a name for yourself? To retire at 57. That's my goal. Why? That's good. Why? Is, is, it, is it so you can take life easy and just kind of devote your life to recreation? Is it to be financially secure? Debt free, financially secure, no worries. Why? Is it so that you have the freedom to, to spend on all the things that you want? To get into better shape. Is it because you want to gain the attention of someone else? Why do you plan what you plan? He says, when you plan, consult God. Do everything in accordance with the will of God. So instead of praying, um, because what you could do is, is if you just took that verse, really literally just tack, if it be God's will, onto the end of everything you want to do and then try to make it a holy statement. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, uh, Lord, bless what I'm doing. He's asking us to pray, God, help me to do what you're blessing. You see the difference? Not this is what I'm gonna do, God, please bless it, but God, I wanna do what you are blessing. So James is saying, we're to, we, we are to make plans in accordance with God's will by consulting God. Um, if the Lord wills it also, it's talking about how we hold our plans, how we make our plans, but how we hold our plans as well. So what we're really saying when we say if the Lord wills it is if God allows it to happen, I mean if this is really what God wants for me, then 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 this is my goal. But, but, if, but if God has other plans, then my, I, I am open to that. I'm making my plans in pencil, but I'm giving God the eraser. That's what that means, if the Lord wills it. Holding our plans with an open hand. You know, so it's good to plan. The question is, do we make our plans? Do, I, do we set our goals with, with, a, with a closed hand? grasping it or with an open hand and if God wants to make a change God can make a change I'm open God to whatever you want to do I think this is what he's talking about in verse 17 here when he says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them so this is the culmination of his whole line of of reasoning here Um, he begins by saying therefore Therefore, if anyone knows the good they ought to do today and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So he's talking about the sin of omission. We don't often think about sins as things we don't do. We normally think about doing bad things as sin. But, but he says, no, it's, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And maybe more often than that, it's actually not doing the things that we ought to do. Not doing the things that God calls us to do. Why? What's the connection between that thought and this idea of arrogant planning? And I think what he's saying is, when you close your fist around your hands and you say, I will, 
What you're also saying is God can't. I will do this. I will accomplish this. I am striving for this. And, 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 and when we are resolute about our plans, we shut God off from the ability to, to lead us into something different to whatever his plan is for us, the good that he has for us. I think that's what he's talking about here. You know, we can all make these, these inner vows where, where we cling to our, our plans or a certain dream. And, I, and I've, I've heard that referred to as an inner vow, kind of like this promise we make ourselves. I will pay off my house by 50. That's, that's a good goal. I will pay out, have my house paid out. I'll have no mortgage at the age of 50. But, but, it, but, it, but if that's our goal, and if, and, and if we... If we have our fist around that, God can bring good things that he calls us into and we can even see them as good and acknowledge that they're good, but then we can look at them and go, but that doesn't fit my plan. It's good, but it doesn't fit my plan. And so I, 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 I don't do the good thing that God had put in front of me today because of my plan for tomorrow that I'm grasping. Maybe it's some need that God, that, that God presents, some financial need that you can, that God, God can use, use you to meet, but, but you say, that's, that's great, I wish I could, but I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Right? And we can wall God off and, and there become area of our lives that God can't get into. He, he can't speak to that area of life and therefore he can't bless that area of life. We cannot experience the will of God then in that area of life. Maybe for some of you like uh, teenagers, um, college students up there, maybe you've got a goal, get through university without any student loans. That's a good goal. And maybe you're gonna, maybe you're gonna work hard. You're gonna find a good summer job and you're gonna work hard to try to get through school without any student loans. But, then, but maybe, just hypothetically, maybe a scenario comes where, where you have an opportunity, there's some need to, to counsel up at Silver Bay Bible Camp. And this need comes and, and you might even feel like God prompting your heart and that's something that you can do. And there's that, there's that good thing that God brings into your life but what we can say is, that's good, that's good, God, but it doesn't fit into my plan. And so we can turn away from the good thing that God brings to us for the sake of this plan we've made for ourselves. I think that's what he's talking about here. He says, some of you, you're putting off God's good because it conflicts with your goal. How much better would it be, James says, if we were just to, who do you think has a better plan for your life, you or God? Okay, that's not, like, I, I, I'm looking for an answer because I know sometimes, like, do you want me to answer? Do you not want me to, is this rhetorical question? Who, who do you think has a better plan for your life, you or God? Whose plan would you rather live in your life, your plan or God's plan? I hope so. We believe God is good. God has a good plan for us. God's plan for us is not exactly our plan for ourselves. But if we have a closed fist around our plans, we will not experience the goodness that God has for us, the blessings that God wants to give us and cause us to be to others 
because we have this sort of attitude about our plans and our goals for the future. How much better, James says, would it be just to trust in the future that God has for you instead of the future that you have for you? So James, he's not saying um, uh, don't wait to do tomorrow, or he, he is saying don't wait to do tomorrow what you should do today. What our plans can cause us to do is can cause us to kind of put off things that God is calling us to do. Maybe that God is commanding us to do because it doesn't fit our plan, our vision. James is saying here, he's saying Christians live one day at a time. Live in the present. Live in the present because you don't know anything about tomorrow. But God has given you today. Live obedient to God's will today and trust God for tomorrow. I, I heard this statement I thought was really good. Life is what happens when you are planning for something else. That's good. Life isn't your plan. Life is what happens. Life is what God is doing in, in you today when you are planning for something else. And if it's all about your plan for the future, James says, you're gonna miss what God wants you to do today. You're gonna miss it. He says, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss that good. I don't want you to miss God's will. He says, live in the present. Trust God with the future. And so um, the big theme of James' letter is don't just be hearers of the word. Be, be doers of the word. Obey. And so, your job now is to go, okay, God, how do I obey this? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? I just want to pose a couple questions for you that, that maybe you can take home, that you can bring to God, that you can ponder. The first question is this. Where in your life are you saying, I will, without saying, if God wills? In other words, is there something that you've got a, some plan or some goal or something about, about your future that you've got a closed fist around instead of an open fist? And you're saying, I will make this happen without saying, if God wills it. In other words, is there any planning that you're doing without God? And the second question, what, what good have you been putting off because it doesn't fit your plans? Maybe there's something, some opportunity or something that God has brought into your life or laid on your heart, but, but you've been resisting it or you've been putting it off because it doesn't coincide with your plan for your future. Is there something that you've been putting off for the sake of, of your plan? So, you know, like, like, like maybe, maybe you're a dad that, maybe, maybe you want to be that guy that, uh, you know, your parents had a mortgage into their 70s and I'm never going to let that happen to me. I'm going to work extra shifts. I'm going to do whatever I have to do so that by 55, by 60, I'm debt free and I don't have to be in that position. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I got to do and so I'm going to take those shifts and at, so when I'm saying yes to that, I'm, 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 I'm giving up tucking in the kids, praying with them, 
being invested in their lives spiritually, do devotion, doing devotions with him, doing that good at home for the sake of the plan. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe there's some opportunity to be generous around you that, that you're, you are resisting because it doesn't fit with your plan. Maybe, may, maybe there is some opportunity for service or ministry that God has put before you. Maybe something he's even laid on your heart. But you just don't have room for it in your life right now because you're devoting this other time to pursuing of this plan that you have for yourself. I mean, I don't know. Ask God, what good have you been putting off because it doesn't fit your plans? I mean, maybe for some of you here this morning, you've been putting off giving your life to God. I know there's some of you here this morning. I don't know who you are. You know who you are. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe, maybe you've been in church for years, but if you're honest, I mean, you believe in God. I mean, you even pray to God and ask him for help now and then. But, but if you're to be honest, you've never actually given up control of your life to God. You've never surrendered your life. You've never stopped trusting in yourself and put your full trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never actually let go. You've been putting off doing the one thing that, that God requires you to do, the best thing, letting go and giving up control of your life to Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and trusting fully in him as your Lord and your Savior and following his plan for your life. So maybe, that, maybe this morning, that's the fist that some of you need to open. And if that's you, I mean, every once in a while we throw this prayer up here. It's not magic words, but, but if this prayer represents you know, the desire of your heart, this is the prayer that you can pray to, to receive Jesus into your life, to give your life over to, to God in faith. And I want, I'm gonna give you an, uh, an opportunity here in a minute. If, if that's you, if that's something that you've been putting off, uh, this is what I would wanna tell you. And maybe you've been putting it off because you feel there's some things you gotta sort out in your life now. And some point in the future, you'll get around to this. But there's other things right now that are, that are more important, more pressing. James says to us, guys, you don't eat, know that you even have tomorrow. You don't know. Don't put off till tomorrow what you need to do today. 